The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to our program on Alzheimer's disease and the dementias, and we are coming to you from Voice America, the leader in Internet media. I want to uh, clarify a little bit uh, from our discussion last week. We had the opportunity to talk with Brad Fregon, who's the president of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, and we talked about a number of different things. And among the things we talked about was a legal finding of incompetence and uh, need for someone to be placed in charge. And I did not want to uh, leave the audience with the idea that because there is dementia, someone would be found incompetent. The majority of the time when someone is experiencing cognitive decline, they are actually quite competent and, and will continue to be for quite some time. And not every case needs to be litigated as well. You know, uh, guardianship does have to be approved and determined by a court, but um, most of the time this is a, a fairly simple process. So anyway, the main main point I wanted to get across is that just because there's cognitive decline, that does not mean incompetence, and please keep that in mind. Now, our guest today is Sheila Collier. She is the owner and manager of Covenant Outreach, LLC, a private professional guardianship and care management service. Covenant Outreach was founded by Sheila in 1997, and as far as she knows, may have been the very first one in the state of Texas, and she had a very significant expansion of services in 2003. So for 17 years, Sheila has been providing these services. She is a Texas certified guardian and a nationally certified master guardian. She also serves on the board of the Texas Guardianship Association. Sheila, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm very grateful to you for taking the time to visit with us about this complicated and emotionally pretty significant issue of guardianship. But let's begin here. What is Covenant Outreach? Well, Covenant Outreach is, by the terms of the estate's code, a private professional guardianship agency. Uh, that means that we are not a part of a program, a county program subsidized, subsidized with any funding. Um, we're not through the state program. We are privately Okay. Now, generally speaking, when we think of guardianship, we normally think somebody from the family will step up and be the guardian. But there are times when that's not the case. Why is an organization such as Covenant Outreach needed? Well, as you say, oftentimes there is a family member that's willing and able to take over. Sometimes um, the family is estranged for 
many, many numbers of reasons. Uh, sometimes family lives too far away. Sometimes they are having their own health issues. Uh, sometimes they are um, having so much dissension among themselves in the family that a third party is needed. And so that way you have no vested interest in any aspect of the estate and you can provide a lot more objective guidance and management. And I noticed that um, you described the organization as guardianship and care management service. What is the care management component? Well, as you stated, not all dementias require a full guardianship. And so there are those individuals who still have um, the ability to contract for services. Um, so we do that through our care management. With that, it's, it's putting in services into place that will allow them to function in the least restrictive environment, most often their homes, uh, with us putting together uh, a team of people and going in to monitor those services. So, for example, someone might um, need to have a person come into the home every day to make sure that medications are taken right, that nutrition is adequate, that the home is safe in terms of clutter and risk of falling and things like that. And so Covenant Outreach might see to those types of needs in that home of an individual who is actually not declared incompetent. That is correct. And you would know, of course, what types of services are available in the community. Uh, home Instead, Visiting Angels, many of those uh, non-Medicare home health agencies, the Alzheimer Association and support services and education that they can offer. So you have to uh, be very knowledgeable and very integrated and networked in the community as well, don't you? That's correct. So how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> part of that is going through the aging cluster, which is a... Um, group that meets monthly from the uh, area agency on aging. That's a group of individuals who have a concern for uh, the vulnerable adults in the area. And part of it is just uh, having been at this for a long time, uh, learning the agencies that are out there and having a relationship with them. So the aging cluster, which is basically a cluster of organizations that are interested in vulnerable people in the community, and mostly you'd be looking at older individuals, uh, what do they do as uh, as an entity, as an organization? Well, as I say, we have we meet monthly, and then we have speakers, and then each in, each um, agency will talk about what's going on within their community of. Uh, area of service and so we are all on top of uh, what's available out there for each other. So you keep each other informed and and um, as you see new needs arising where there's nothing in place to meet those needs you can give them a heads up and one or another among them might go ahead and address this newly identified area of need. That's correct. Now we have the Texas Guardianship Association. You're on their board. How long have you served on that board? I'm into my second term so I'm in my fourth year. Fourth year. What is that organization? Well, that is an organization that is made up of members throughout the whole state of Texas, and um, our focus is trying to educate the public on guardianship issues, trying to focus on helping family members know how to go about becoming the guardian of their own loved one. Uh, we do a lot of training. Um, we work with the certification board as far as uh, the testing that's required. Um, we meet 
once a year annually for a, a two-day conference. Um, now, this um, certification, uh, let's say at the state level initially, what what is required for someone to become certified as you are certified as a guardian? Until 2009, there was no uh, requirement to be certified. But that has changed substantially, and there is a board that is support that is appointed by the Texas Supreme Court that monitors the certification requirements. And so it is a it's a rigorous testing to show that you do know uh, at least the basics of guardianship services, and then through the national level, uh, it's it's a little more detailed. And are you uh, then tested on, for example, what are the laws that govern guardianship? Some on the laws, but more on the hands-on taking care of individuals and their property issues. I see. Now, um, we're using this term guardianship. What? How would you define guardianship? Well, the estates code defines it as an individual because of a mental or physical condition is substantially unable to provide food, clothing, and shelter for themselves, to provide medical care for themselves, or to manage their financial affairs. Okay, so if a person then meets that definition, then a guardian would be appointed, right? And to be able to determine if that individual meets that um, definition requires um, a licensed physician doing an exam. Okay. Um, do people generally know what they're getting into when they agree to become a guardian? No. <laughs> <laughs> to put it simply, no. I don't think anyone understands the magnitude of what that encompasses. So what does it encompass? Well, I've got to summarize 17 years of experience <laughs> for us. <laughs> well, this individual basically loses their right to make choices about themselves. That's why you want someone who knows this individual and what their wishes have been and will be in the future if that's possible. Um, in our instance, of course, since we are um, private, we don't know much about the individual and if there's not family to give the information to us, then we try to put together all the information we can from going through their private belongings and their old letters and cards and mail. Um, to find out who has been important in their lives right. and what they have enjoyed doing. And, and hopefully find something that indicates what their wishes are. Um, to try to do that for a stranger is is unexplainable. Now, I can imagine that that's very difficult and uh, the choices that you're talking about. Well, what are what are the choices, the kinds of choices that someone is deprived of when they are declared incompetent? Uh, the, the area that is specifically outlined in the court's order is whether or not they are able to marry, whether they are able to vote or drive a vehicle. Those things specifically have to be addressed. Okay. Uh, and then after that, it's really individually uh, listed as to whether or not they can or cannot make some medical decisions, some financial decisions. Can they manage a little bit of money on their own? So they might be given an allowance, right. so to speak? Right. Okay. Uh, trying to keep them as independent as possible. And, of course, they uh, do not have the right any longer to decide where they live. 
they wouldn't that is determined by the court they might have some input and still have the ability to make that limited decision so the court may say this person will continue to be allowed to make these decisions a b and c but not these other decisions over here to drive a vehicle to vote to consent to marry and that kind of thing correct usually by the time um, referrals are made however the individual has progressed enough that they aren't able to retain much of that decision-making capability. <laughs> okay. Now, you, um, as a guardian, don't have free reign to do whatever you want, but you have ongoing accountability to the court. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, we show the court what the medical diagnosis is, by all means, and then we are required to file an inventory of the assets for the individual as of the date we are appointed. Um, and then it, we are required to seek the court's authorization to spend money out of the ward's estate. I hate to say ward, out of the individual's estate. Um, and um, what items that we're allowed to purchase outside of that monthly budget require special so the accountability is actually pretty tight and we'll talk more about that when we come back from our break in just a couple of minutes so please stay with us your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness where did i put my keys What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. 
To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to NeuroMatters. Thank you for staying with us. I am Dr. Sam Brinkman, your host, and we're talking to Sheila Collier, the owner and manager of Covenant Outreach, a private professional guardianship and care management service. Sheila is a Texas certified guardian and a nationally certified master guardian, and she is helping us to understand some of the implications of the concept of guardianship. Sheila, guardianship is different from power of attorney, isn't it? That is correct. How are they different? A power of attorney is something that an individual is able to do for themselves while they are competent and able to choose an individual that they wish to manage their affairs should they become unable to in the future. That would include uh, financial as well as medical decisions. Um, it's not um, managed or it's not overseen by the court. Um, it's so it needs to be someone that you know and trust explicitly. So if I give you power of attorney over, let's say, my finances, then you could write a check as you determine appropriate, and um, uh, that check would be valid when it comes back to the bank, right? But at the same time, I can still write a check on that account. It depends on how the instrument is written, actually. Okay. I mean, there are some that... Um, powers of attorney that are effective immediately, like, like you described, and there are some that require two doctors to say that this individual can no longer manage their own affairs, and so they have designated this person under a power of attorney to do that for them. Oh, that's why you said it the way you did, that they make that designation while they're competent to go into effect at the point that they may be determined to be not competent. That's correct. Okay. And at that point, does it continue as power of attorney or is it considered a uh, chosen guardianship? No. If you have um, established a power of attorney, then that's the way it remains unless it is brought to someone's attention that that power of attorney has abused the individual uh, physically or through exploiting their estate. And that has happened. That's why I say you need to make sure you're appointing someone that you truly do trust. Um, In that instance, then guardianship will override the power of attorney. I see. And then it goes into the court supervision. Okay. So power of attorney does not have the automatic accountability to the court that guardianship has. No, sir, it does not. But can be brought to the attention of the court if it's felt that there's some abuse, uh, some taking advantage or or something like that. That's right? right. Okay. So let's go on back. Well, you know, there have been many times in my clinical practice when family members have been concerned an individual with cognitive deficits um, has written a check to somebody who claims to have mowed their lawn every day for two weeks, you know, a check every day for two weeks. And, um, and they think that by establishing power of attorney, they are now taking away that in that individual um, who has the cognitive deficits, that individual's legal authority to write a check, but they're not necessarily taking that away. Not necessarily. 
Okay. Now, guardianship, we were talking a little bit about um, the accountability that's built into that. And um, as you and I were talking earlier before the show began, um, there even even before you begin to execute financial transactions, there's a lot that you and the court have done and reached agreements about. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Absolutely. So what are some of those things? Um, the court's order is very specific on what the rights and duties of the guardian are, and that is uh, as far as making medical decisions as well as um, managing the estate of the individual. Um, once again, nothing is done without the court having approved it first. Okay. Um, to sell a person's house, to sell a person's car, to purchase a prepaid burial contract, um, all of that requires authorization from the court. So uh, to make those transactions, the court would have to agree to it beforehand. Let's say a person has a gazillion dollars in their savings account, okay? Mm -hmm. And um, you you then um, know what this person's expenses will be, the property tax, the houses, the utilities, the food budget, whatever help is hired uh, for that individual and things like that. Do you have to present that that budget to the court as well for the court to approve it? What I show the court is exactly what this individual's worth is financially, what the property is it's owned, what's in the bank accounts, and then the court will set a bond uh, based on the amount of assets that we will be managing. And that is determined a lot of different ways. But to keep the bond as low as possible, if this person has a gazillion amount of money, then we put a bulk of that money into what is called a safekeeping agreement, which says that the guardian cannot make any changes to anything without the court knowing it first. So for that designated money, three quarters of a gazillion dollars, right. let's say, that's right. put in account for safekeeping, then you, any use of money from that would have to be approved by the court. Exactly. So we only take out a fourth of the gazillion so that we can manage their uh, medical care for as long as that will last. If unusual expenses come up, um, the air conditioning system breaks down in the house or something like that, do you have to petition the court to agree on that as well, or is that implicit in your position that you can do that? We try to build that in initially because it's costly to the estate. Guardianship is expensive because it does require the court's authorization. So every time you go to court, it's going to cost. So we try to set that up initially where if they have property that has to be maintained while we're attempting to sell it or lease it or let the individual live in it, whatever, we try to build in that initially in the in the budget. I see. And then if um, the roof caves in and we don't have that in the budget, we do have to get bids on that before we get it repaired and um, get the court's authorization. And so again, the accountability stays very tight on that kind of very thing, tight. doesn't it? What if the court thinks something that you've done should not have been done? Um, then the court can request a hearing. Uh, and In which case you explain your reasoning? Exactly. We do have to file 
an accounting every year, even though we have pre-approval to spend these dollars, then we have to account for that at the end of each year. And if we don't, then the letters of guardianship are not reissued. And so the court pre-authorizes the expenditure and then they want proof of the expenses and the income at the end of the year. So there is a lot of record keeping that you or Covenant Outreach has to do with each presentation to the court for some kind of special expenditure with the annual auditing or whatever uh, they would call it. It's a lot of a lot of paperwork time, isn't it? It is, but I'm grateful for it. I mean, because then you know that you're doing the right thing as well. That's right. And if the court questions something, um, like I say, they can require a hearing in this rural area that we are in. We don't have a probate court uh, where they have like Fort Worth, Dallas, some of the larger cities do where they actually have someone who um, makes visits to the to the individual and does more hands-on review of the files. Someone so from forth. the court that makes visits? Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in a rural area, then your organization, for example, would be expected to um, uh, provide enough documentation, enough guidance to the court that they don't have to do any kind of a visit to the home or to whatever the setting is. They're just not set up to do that because of the smaller courts and because of the budgets being smaller, I suppose. and. Um, but the court can very well read everything that's um, happened in that year. If they so choose, we attach our case notes to everything that's happened mm-hmm. that year, every phone call, every visit. And some courts will take the time to read every bit of it. I'm sure that um, in the position that you have in the uh, greater community, you have people that disagree with decisions you've made. Now, not the court. Let's say that the court is okay with the things that you've done, the Mm -hmm. decisions you've made, but you have family members or other interested parties that may disagree. Very often disagree. If there is family that is involved and they are not serving as the guardian, then very often they disagree. What would be an example from your experiences? Um, Not too long ago, there was an individual that was in the nursing home uh, when we received the referral. Family had not been coming for visits. Um, The nursing home didn't even know of their existence until we started doing research. Um, They were made aware of the guardianship proceedings, but they chose not to be appointed. Um, This individual had been in the nursing home for a while um, on Medicaid but during our research, we learned that there was a life insurance policy and it had cash value. Well, that cash value then had to be reported to Medicaid and that would have disqualified him from having future Medicaid benefits. Oh, my. It wasn't that enough. That would be devastating exactly. in a circumstance like that. It wasn't enough to pay the nursing home, but it was enough that he would be disqualified for Medicaid benefits. So we solicited the court to be able to cash in that policy. Um, And when we did that, we used the cash assets to actually buy him a prepaid burial plan. Um, Also, one has to take into consideration whenever you're on Medicaid, all of your income goes to pay for the nursing facility except for $60 a month that is allowed for personal needs allowance. 
Not many people can afford a life insurance premium on $60 a mm, month. That's for sure. Which this individual also could not do. And we couldn't afford to catch up the premiums he was behind. So we did cash it in. We bought him a burial pre-need. Then upon his death, the family came forward and they wanted to add to the burial uh, arrangement that we had pre-purchased, but there was no funds to pay for it. So the family themselves were not presenting funds to pay for that difference. Exactly. They were expecting to uh, draw from the life insurance policy that they knew existed. But when they learned that we cashed it in and those funds were no longer available, um, they didn't understand what took place. I see. Uh, they were accusing us of having used the money for our own benefit when we tried to explain that it was totally necessary in order to help their loved one stay in the nursing home, have his care paid for, have a uh, policy paid for. So that's that's one that's one instance. And that was quite a trial. But fortunately, you had uh, already petitioned the court. The court had made its approval, and therefore the family's um, frustrations or criticism of you would not have legal standing. No, that's the protection of the court. That's what I'm saying. I'm thankful for that. That over uh, the way they're able to monitor everything. Yeah, well, that that is absolutely a good thing. How does someone find someone like you? <laughs> well, we get our referrals from many different places. Um, sometimes a good neighbor will notice that um, someone's in need, that they're either not coming out of the house as frequently as they used to, or when they do, they seem to be confused and wandering around and getting lost, or maybe they're not eating properly. Um, so the neighbors will, will notify adult protective services oftentimes. Um, some people go to the website of the Texas Guardianship Association, which has a list of guardians throughout the state and in, in what area, so that you can find help that way. Mm -hmm. uh, physicians refer to us. Hospitals refer because an individual is um, in need of medical attention, and it's clear that they don't understand what the consequences of their choices are. Mm -hmm. um, as an example, several years ago, there was a 93-year-old lady in the hospital, and the hospital referred to us. The surgeon wanted authorization to amputate her leg, and um, the lady was schizophrenic and had some other issues. But when I spoke to her on more than one occasion, she, she may not understand what she was in the hospital for, where, she, where her house is, what she just had for breakfast. But she seemed to clearly understand that she was about to have her leg amputated. And she was able to clearly state, I'm 93 years old, I'm about to die anyway, and I want to die with my leg on. So although we were contacted by the hospital at the request of a surgeon, we did not choose to allow that surgery. That was very difficult. It could have gone a different direction. Uh, the doctor said she could have gotten gangrene and had some serious illnesses. But as it was, she was able to live two years and she did quite well. Well, that's an excellent example of how we might say value laden the decisions are that you have to make. Well, Sheila, we're going to go to a break 
And uh, I'd like to follow up with you after the break and discuss the values involved in decision making. Okay. So let's go to break. Stay with us and we will be back with you in a couple of minutes. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Welcome back to our third segment. We are talking with Sheila Collier, a Texas certified guardian, a nationally certified master guardian, and a member of the board of the Texas Guardianship Association. And um, we just began to talk before the break about the difficulty of making decisions on behalf of someone, making decisions that you want to be for their good, even though it's very complicated, and also the degree to which values will come into those decisions. You use the example of whether uh, a person wanted to have her leg amputated or not, which is a, a very difficult decision for for people who have no cognitive deficits whatsoever. And we may look at lots of other areas as well. So talk with me a little bit, Sheila, about how you as a professional 
um, recognize the value issues that come into play and try to make decisions consistent with, as well as you can understand them, consistent with the values of this individual for whom you are given guardianship. Okay. Well, you know, one one of the things that's so important to me is to have staff that have caring hearts for what they do. Anyone in this um, line of service would let you know that it's it's not something that is going to be a big money maker to help support their family. You're in it because you have a heart to do it. And so the individuals that are assigned as a case manager to these um, guardianship clients spend time with the individual. Uh, trying to get to know them on each visit. Uh, sadly, we're only able to go out about once a month unless there's some major issues going on. And some days those people are able to um, communicate better than others. And so you try to ask the questions when you go, and hopefully you'll get consistent answers. Um, before I was able to um, expand and have enough staff, I, I was making those visits myself. And so I'll recall a specific lady who was a Christian scientist. And so we often had uh, discussions about what was important to each of us and what our belief system was. And um, she made it quite clear that her belief as a Christian scientist was very important to her, and if she ever needed a blood transfusion that was against what they believed, well, lo and behold, it became necessary to make mm-hmm. that decision. She needed surgery, she needed a blood transfusion, and everything within me wanted to respond as I would normally for my own mother, knowing her belief system, but I had to take into account Miss Lefestes. And so I did not allow the blood transfusion much against what the doctors were advising. Um, Sheila, what if you knew that she had a Christian scientist background, you knew from family, from looking at things in her home, that this was very important to her, but she did not have the ability to communicate to her, to, to you rather. She did not have the ability to communicate to you that this was important to her. That's when it's tougher. It's a tougher decision to make. Um, Still, we would try to honor that. Um, And it might be the right decision, and it might not. But we would try to honor what we believe would be her her choices. And and that does take that special special attention to getting to know who that individual is. In many ways, you know, it it is so similar to the... um, non-Medicare home health agencies who have someone go into a home, you know, which is sacred ground. Mm -hmm. A person's home is sacred ground to that Mm -hmm. person. And an outsider comes in and exercises a lot of control over sacred ground that they don't own. It's not their sacred ground. And so the values of that individual coming in um, have to be secondary to the values of the individual that lives there, generally speaking. Generally speaking, yes. But on the same token, um, if you've been appointed as the guardian of this individual, then um, you have to take into the account that it's been determined that they cannot completely understand everything that they need to take into consideration in making 
some very serious decisions. And so the guardian is responsible to the court and held liable for the decisions that are made on behalf of that individual. So say there's family that members that are, uh, will give their input. We take that into consideration and we work with the family as closely as we can, even though they've chosen or cannot serve as the guardian. But when it comes down to the ultimate decision, it's the guardian's liability and legal responsibility to make the decision. The buck stops with the guardian. Exactly. In other words, well, that's uh, that's very interesting. And with these types of decisions, what type of accountability to the court do you have? With financial decisions, of course, money is a lot easier to count than, <laughs> you know, the, the value-based decisions that we're talking about. But how are you accountable to the court for those kinds of decisions? Fortunately, that has not come across uh, in my path very often. Um, if a family member or anyone feels like a guardian is not making a good choice, they can go to the court with its concerns and the court can have what I guess would be called a show cause hearing, asking you to show cause why you made the decision you did. Um, so, for example, in the case of the schizophrenic lady who did not want her leg amputated, if there were family members that said it's got to be amputated and you are trying to understand what she wants and what her values are, even though she cannot express them very well, then you would present your um uh, thought processes to the court, family members would present theirs, the court would make a determination whether the amputation is done or not. Correct. And then the guardian is, uh, if, if I am found to be um, guilty of not making the right choice based on the um, informed it's called an informed decision. If you gather all the facts and you have to make a decision, it's called substituted judgment. If you're trying to substitute your judgment for what the individual wants, and yet we're supposed to act in the best interest of the individual as well. Um, so we, it, it gets a little complicated. It gets very complicated. And of course you as a professional, um, participate in continuing education programs, you serve on this board, so you stay on the cutting edge, but that individual who's never been a guardian before and probably never will be a guardian again in his or her life um, really has sort of a minefield to walk through in some ways to continue to try to make the best decisions with the information available and, um, uh, and on behalf of what as nearly as uh, he or she can determine, that individual would have wanted. Well, we talked about different um, areas of decision-making where values uh, are very relevant, and one of them obviously is in religious issues. Right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Have you had, can you tell any stories there? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, I just told you about this Lefesti, but... Um, um, if, are you asking me specifically about religion or what just would, in uh, general? Yeah, what would be the type of religious decision that a guardian might have to make? Well, certainly the beliefs uh, about their medical care and so forth, but we take into account the, um, the way they want to live their lifestyle. Um, 
there are some whose values may not be the same as, as mine or yours. Uh, they may have wishes that they express in their setting that um, may not be something I want to comply with, but I give it consideration needing to to consider if it's harmful to the individual or if it's harmful to someone else within the facility. Uh, for an example, if uh, someone wishes to have uh, a sexual relationship, that's one of the last areas that seems to deteriorate. Uh, if someone wishes to have an encounter with another one um, and is able to understand and express that they understand what they're requesting and they are making this bequest of another individual, another adult who is consenting and understanding what they are consenting to, then taking into consideration their desires and protections, so forth, then we might consent to that relationship. So that becomes then a very personal thing. And as we've spoken, a value laden thing. Well, uh, thank you for helping our listeners appreciate the complexity and the very personal nature of some of the decisions you have to make. We are going to break and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes for our last segment. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. 
You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Thank you for staying with us as we go into our fourth segment, talking with Sheila Collier about guardianship. And uh, I have got to tell you, Sheila, you're teaching me some things about it that that really uh, lead me to appreciate the complexity of it and the difficult challenge that lies before someone who is appointed as a guardian. Um, You know, in my field, in the clinical care areas, we really talk about capacity. How much memory capacity do you have? A lot, an average amount, uh, less than average amount, how much communication capacity? But guardianship is a uh, or competency is a yes or no thing. You know, it doesn't matter where whether you're near the threshold or markedly below the threshold. The legal outcome of it is, is in most areas, essentially the same. How do people recognize that guardianship may be needed in any situation? Well, that is a tough question that a lot of people ask me because... As we naturally age, there are things that we just typically forget. We might forget where we set our keys or um, forget someone's name or forget what you walked in the room for, you know. Um, but usually someone will start to notice that an individual is not able to put the right word into context. Um complete a sentence, not know what day it is, what time it is, um, how to prepare a meal, whether to turn, whether they turned off the stove, if they did cook, um, they might leave the house to go get the mail and end up two blocks away and not be able to find their way back. Um, most recently, we were referred um, for a gentleman that the neighbors had been trying to assist because they knew that he was not able to cook in his own home. He was a hoarder. You could go in one door and go in a few feet, and that's as far as you could get. Uh, he had no electricity, no running water. Um, it was this winter he decided to go s- sit out in his car, and he somehow locked himself out of the car, and so he tried to get under the car. Mm, and uh, he ended up having frostbite, and so the neighbor found him and was able to get him help, and um, he was referred for guardianship. With the proper diet and nutrition and attention, he is he is better physically and cognitively than he was, but not to the point that he would be able to return home. Mm-hmm. Um, he even had the assets to be able to provide for care, but he either didn't remember remember it or chose not to. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, of course, brings up the interesting point that usually we would consider guardianship to be a permanent thing for an individual, but there are times when uh, things can happen, a, um, a treatment intervention can take place or something like that that uh, would restore a person to competent functioning. I, I think of, for example, um, someone that's had brain trauma or someone who's had a stroke and and recovers more than they were projected to recover from the stroke. That's correct, and we've had that happen. Sadly, what does happen 
however, is that sometimes whenever the guardianship is terminated and they go back into their usual setting, then they go back into their regular habits of not taking care of themselves. And a lot of times we're back to square one. And of course, not the least of which is nutritional kinds of things. Exactly. You know, um, I can't tell you how many times I've had families contact me, uh, families who live away from their loved one, who come to visit the loved one and see that the only food in the house is breakfast cereal, for example, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they begin to address the issue of um, whether the person can be restored to a higher level of cognitive functioning and make good good decisions for their lives and things like that. You had mentioned the electricity being cut off a little bit earlier with a client. And one of the things that I've noted is often for outsiders, maybe family members that live away, that losing utility service is one of the first indicators that someone is not keeping up with their finances. That's correct. That would be a good indicator. <laughs> and um, and again, not that unusual an event. And then when family members come to investigate, then they see there are many overdue bills and, uh, and they, you know, not just with utilities, but with many things as well and many collection letters and, and things along those lines. And of course, um, uh, the vulnerability, uh, we talked about this a little bit last week, the vulnerability to financial scams. There's no end to the creativity of American crooks. <laughs> oh, no. I I was appointed over a gentleman that when I walked into his home and saw the numbers of magazines and the publisher's clearinghouse forms to fill out, and he was expecting Fred McMahon any day to come <laughs> to his door with lots of money, um, people are often overinsured. Um, oh, that's a good example as well. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there is this sweepstakes one that's making the rounds. You know, I hear about it every few months of, um, you know, you have won $50,000, send us the $100 and we'll make you eligible for $150,000 sweepstakes. And they keep upping the ante mm-hmm. until... Um, you know, hopefully it comes to the attention of someone else. Well, Sheila, we've got just a couple of minutes left in the program, but again, I appreciate you taking the time to um, visit with the listening audience and help them to understand what this issue of guardianship means, how it's different from power of attorney, what type of safeguards are in place, like the accountability and and steps for certification and things like that. And uh, um, I hope that our listening audience has learned a lot from this discussion. I know that you do stay very, very busy with the number of clients you have. Um, this woman, listeners, is a tremendously businesswoman, a tremendously busy woman because so many people have trusted her over the years to oversee these types of issues. So um, I'm very grateful to you, Sheila, for being Thank here you, with us. What I'm hoping the listeners are getting is that guardianship it's not all bad. It is meant to restore dignity to someone who well deserves it. A very good point, and I appreciate you pointing that out. Well, we have next week, we are planning on a program to discuss attending to the spiritual needs of individuals who have dementia from various causes. And following that, I'm in the process of putting together a program to talk about driving 
and cognitive decline a um, an emotionally laden issue in its own right. So, Sheila, thank you for being here with us. Absolutely. And I'm thankful to all of you who have listened in, and uh, I will look forward to getting back with you next week. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.